This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we have Sarah Histand on the podcast. She spends a lot of her time adventuring in Alaska, but with adventure can come the risk of injury and not to mention a lot of mental hurdles to overcome. Sarah's passion about helping people connect to their mind, body, and spirit as they move into living their best lives possible. With this passion, she works as a mental health therapist. She's a huge advocate for self-care, and I'm super excited about having her on the podcast today to dive into this topic. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, Sarah, you are in Alaska, which I mean, to me just seems so amazing and adventurous. So I kind of want to hear about that background. Did you grow up there? Yeah, I did. I love Alaska. It's it's a really special place. If you have that kind of re- response when you hear Alaska, you should definitely come visit sometime. Yeah, yeah, totally. Definitely on the bucket list. Um, what part of Alaska are you in? So I live in Anchorage, which is South Central. It's the kind of the big city in the state. Um, and I I just moved to the big, the, our like, big city hub uh, now it's two years ago and I was in small towns around the state before then. Okay. And growing up in Alaska, talk about that a little bit. I mean, were you just always immersed in the outdoors? That's kind of what I imagined <laughs> growing up in Alaska's like. Yeah, I think, you know, my parents moved up to Alaska from the Midwest. They were in Ohio and Indiana until they got married and on their honeymoon, they had uh, like a VW bus that they were driving around the country and ended up in um, Washington. And we're like, well, let's keep going, see what's north. And then they like ended up in Alaska and ran out of money and needed some a summer job and like stayed and and like that was that. So um, they were like kind of Midwest people at heart, but they uh, were super into what Alaska had to offer. So. We did a lot of camping and canoeing and um, not super like um, risky sort of outdoor stuff, but but the more like family friendly things, a little bit of skiing, like cross country skiing, things like that as kids. Okay. So they definitely did raise you guys to just like embrace that lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Did you ever leave Alaska and then like come back or have you always just loved being there? Yeah, when I was a kid, especially in like uh, high school age, I started to feel like I was growing up in 
Alaska, this little bubble and like missing what was going on in the real world. Um, and so, and so I definitely had this, like, I got to get out of here drive after high school and left for college and then lived abroad for a handful of years. And then after doing a bit of sampling of like, um, what the rest of the U.S. is like, and then some international living, it got really clear for me that like the place that I loved the most and felt the most at home and wanted to be was Alaska. So I came back and and basically haven't left ever since. Well, yeah. And it's like, you have to leave home in order to realize that what you have is exactly what you want out of life. That's definitely been true for me. Yeah. It's like you take what you have for granted before you see other things and you're like, wow. This is where I belong. <laughs> so you went abroad in college? Yeah, I studied abroad for a year of college and then after college lived abroad for a few years as well. Where did you go? One of my majors in college was Spanish. And so I was in uh, Central America and then I spent a couple of years living in Colombia after college. So Spanish and then also mental health, correct? Yeah, yeah. Spanish and, and sociology in undergrad and then my master's is in social work. <laughs> Okay. So with getting the Spanish, is that used often over in Alaska? It's really not. It's, it's kind of a sad um, reality of making the choice to come back here. And yeah, that part of my brain, I don't use very often anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I kind of imagine over in Alaska, but I don't, I guess I don't, not super familiar with the diversity of it. Yeah. You know, now that I'm living in Anchorage and the, like the bigger city here, there'd definitely be some opportunities to, to get back into that. But so far I haven't, that's actually a good nudge. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just such an interesting like connection to have like the whole mental health background, but then Spanish too. I don't hear those connections too often. Yeah. My life has been a windy path, you know, toward <laughs> toward how things have come together. And I've always had a lot of different interests and been super curious about a lot of different things. And um, you know, one of the reasons I started my own business a couple of years ago was that like all of the different things I wanted to be involved in, I couldn't figure out how to do them in like a traditional way. So created my own thing <laughs> to bring a lot of that together, but I didn't bring the Spanish piece in yet. So We'll see. <laughs> see. Well, there's always happens. time. That's kind <laughs> totally. of what entrepreneurship and owning your own business can be, right? I guess so. Yeah. Creating it to be what you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that about like, just like reading your website, you weave like mental health and like the physical part into it and just like the whole self. And that's exactly what we need as humans to thrive and do our best every day. I um, talked to this woman, Pilar Gerasimo, who wrote a book called The Healthy Deviant. And she talks all about how being healthy in our modern world is a challenge. And if you are healthy and thriving in this modern world, you are what she calls a healthy deviant. <laughs> so mm. when I was like reading your website, mm. I was kind of thinking that like, these are all the qualities that a person really needs to thrive and be their best self. So I was like, wow, she's kind of coaching people to be a healthy deviant. This is so cool. Ooh, yeah, that is cool. That overlaps. I'll have to check that book out. Yeah, yeah. Her book is fantastic. <laughs> but I totally agree that like the, um, our sort of culture has separated these things, like our physical thing is one and our, like we go to the doctors for our physical health and we go to like someone else for our mental health. And then we go outside to do other stuff. But 
the way it feels true for me and I like believe is true for everyone when we can bring all of these pieces together, there's tons of, of ways that they overlap and can support each other. So a lot of my work these days is fitness now online for people who want to do outdoor recreation stuff. But like we do training for our bodies and it's like such a great opportunity to work on building mental capacity as well. And then we can like take all those skills and put them to work on a backpacking trip. So cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like every day when you work out is kind of, it's just a mental challenge to get yourself to do that. <laughs> yeah. Especially like in quarantine some days where I was just like, oh my gosh, I just want to keep being lazy. And all I need to do is walk downstairs and do my workout. It's tough, you know, cause, cause sometimes we need to rest too. And it's pretty tricky to to know like how to, how to balance that out, like how to listen to your body and give it what it needs when sometimes what it needs is the day off. And sometimes what it needs is to like overcome the inertia of the couch and Netflix and like actually move some energy. Yeah, exactly. And some days all we need to do is stretch, just simply stretch our bodies. I think that's so important. Yeah, for sure. So how did you even like get interested in this type of work? Was there like an event that just like was like eye-opening to you that happened to you personally? You know, um, yeah, I mean, windy path, like I said earlier, but um, for sure at one point I was working in small town Alaska gym. I was running this little gym in Valdez, Alaska. And teaching a bunch of fitness classes. Um, and I had been over the, the few years previous to that, I had been trying to learn how to downhill ski and really having a hard time with it. It was a slow process. And up here, um, there are, there's only a couple places with lifts. So a, I was doing a lot of this backcountry skiing where you're like skinning up and then skiing down. And so you're just doing like one or two laps a day, like it's a, it's a really slow way to learn how to ski basically It's a slow and intense way to learn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and frustrating, like all those things, um, and beautiful, but for sure slow. So when I started running this gym and, and skiing at the same time, it like clicked for me. I started teaching this type of class that felt like it translated over to my skiing so well that all of a sudden the things that I'd been trying to get my body to do in the mountains, all of a sudden, like, like I could do them. And it, um, like I had the strength that I needed to pull off, like what being outside was asking of me. And, and that is what like set this thing into motion where I was like, okay, we can like really effectively train for what we're trying to do outside when we're not, don't have the time to go on a big trip or even like get to a trailhead, you could do a short gym workout or a living room workout. Now it's living room workouts, you know, um, and still have it be just as effective. So what kind of workout in the gym were you teaching then? Uh, these are interval training, body weight intervals is what I teach. And um, it was a methodology that's called Tabata Bootcamp at that time, taught by Mindy Milray. That methodology isn't isn't around anymore, um, but I've taken what she, the foundation that she built with that and then tweaked it to make it even more outdoors oriented. So now I, now I have um, a summer version that's called Summer Strong, which is what's running right now. And that's for like backpacking muscles and 
boating and biking, the things we do in the summer, trail running, things like that. And then the the winter version, which is I call ski babes. Okay. When I hear Tabata, I picture like high intensity for like 30 seconds on and then like a quick rest. Is that the right idea? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the base of it. Um, there's a few different ways I structure the intervals. Some of them are longer and really um, alignment focused. We like work with some, some slower movements and notice where your body gets unstable and work to train the like joint stability that way. And then, and then start to build from there up in intensity and start to build comfort. So this is when the mental part comes in, start to build your body's capacity to deal with like intensity in your system and your mind's capacity to like be okay with it being intense. Yeah, that's, I just think that's one of the hardest parts to it, getting your mind to be okay with that. I think so too, yeah. And I think a lot of us think that when our mind like, turns on us kind of in those situations that like something's wrong, like we're doing something wrong or something's wrong with us, that that is so hard to do sometimes. And it's one of the things I love the most about being able to coach people through those moments because really it's just our body's way of trying to like keep us safe and um, help us stay um, in a place where we're not at risk of like overdoing things. It's, it's a whole like survival system that we get, that we push up against when we get into really intense situations. Right. Right. And that risk at that, like being at risk of like overdoing things too, because that's such a fine line too, especially when we're talking about like outdoor recreation and hiking and backpacking, like there's so many injuries that can come along with that. And I think a lot of the people when they're out on the trail, they have this like athletic and like competitive mindset, especially through hikers get that. And Mm. it seems like that's when a lot of injury can come on. So are the types of people that you help train typically athletes out like outdoor athletes? It's a, yeah, they are typically outdoorsy people. Um, I have a, a pretty wide range of like athletic abilities and, and a good portion of them are like um, people who want to be outside, but, but are like, Oh, I'm not an athlete. You know, there's like, there's some kind of, um, I don't know, kind of stigma around that term for some people have a hard time like owning that they're an athlete, more like a recreational level person. So there's some people in like that category. And then there are others who are um, like trying to do really big, goals in the backcountry and want their body to be able to withstand as much as possible, um, like climbing Denali and um, going on big backcountry traverses in Alaska or in lower 48. This stuff is is really um, adjustable. So you get to like tweak it with like to match wherever your body's at. It's pretty cool that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like each person you work with, it's very like catered to their very specific goals and needs and I mean even like your example of like what got you into this work like how you wanted to learn how to ski (laughs) so like do people ever come to you and they're like I just want to be able to go on my first backpacking trip yeah yeah you know one of my goals with this work was to be able to like take away the physical barrier because okay so like we all who are like excited about outdoor stuff kind of know the benefits of being outside and I for sure like want to share that I want like everybody to experience the benefits that come from 
being able to like support yourself outside, do challenging stuff and, and um, the empowerment and all that stuff that comes from it. But like when your body is not there, you know, when you haven't done that stuff for a while or you're, you know, in a slump in your fitness, it's possible to like be outside and have it just really suck. It's, it's really hard to have fun when your body is tired. So I feel like that's a piece, like that's a piece we can like help take off the table without even having to go outside to do it. That's, that's one of the goals. It's really most of the people that come to me though, are already like sold on being outdoors and just want to be able to do it with less struggle and like less injuries and be able to keep up with their friends without it sucking and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so, that's so true. Like it definitely can be an awful experience. And I mean, that's why people don't even try something like that because they're just so held back in their mind and in their physical well-being. So this whole idea of kind of helping people physically and mentally to do that is pretty awesome. I think a lot of people can benefit from this type of work that you're doing. Um, So, I mean, do you want it to veer more towards only those type of people or like you're like you want it to be a whole umbrella still? I want it to be as inclusive and as wide ranging as possible. Um, I think the people who are naturally drawn in are already kind of sold on the idea of outdoor stuff. Um, But the more we can make the outdoor space um, accessible and inclusive to people who don't necessarily like fit the mold, the better. I think, Um, you know, people with different sized bodies and different races and like all of that stuff, the outdoor spaces, not as diverse as it could be. And I think we have a lot of work to do on that. 100%. Yeah. I think about that a lot. The diversity it's yeah, it's for everyone, every person, every shape, every size, every age. It absolutely is. Yeah, for sure. So what does a, like when someone comes to you, what does that look like? How do you kind of like process the situation with them to get them started on this coaching journey or I guess mental health like is it a therapy journey that you call it with them so so what I'm doing um, these days is primarily group programs so um, and it's fitness oriented so we do six-week training sessions and um, people sign up to be a part of that group and together we do workouts that are streamed um, and then there's mindset and mental work each week that we're incorporating into the workouts as well. And um, some nutrition work in there too, but yeah, it's mostly this like building physical strength and mental strength together through the workouts. And then like trying to take the same tools into your weekend and notice what happens when you're outside too, on your late, on your days outside. So then like, do they come in kind of report back to you how, how that went for them? Yeah. We try to have as much conversation. So, I mean, it's, it's all online these days. And so, and, and really has been online for the last couple of years, I was teaching this series in person um, in Valdez before I moved over to Anchorage two years ago. And when I made the move, I switched it all over to online. And so, um, yeah, so we have a couple of places like discussion boards, places where the community can come together and share what they're doing and connect that way. And yeah, it's like titrated learning on these um, mental components that you kind of have to get awareness of, and then you have to practice it <laughs> to get it to like actually happen when you're stressed. I think a lot of times like people come in cause they're like, 
I need to get in shape. I, I want to feel better. You know, like fitness is kind of something that people are often looking for. But what people tell me at the end is they're like, oh, I wasn't like, I didn't know I needed the mental part, but honestly, that made the biggest difference. And that I love to hear. That's so fun for me to, to know, because that's been true for me personally as well. <laughs> and it's really neat to, to see that clicking for others. So like you're saying, a lot of the time people come to you who are already physically in shape in a decent amount, but just need like that extra mental boost. More like they, they kind of know that they need some structure to take their fitness to the next level. A lot of us, I think, can get in like decently good shape ourselves just by, especially if you're somebody who likes to be outside, you know, you, you like outside as much as they can get in. Um, but sometimes it's hard to uh, get really trained up to, to full potential on your own because it's hard to push yourself to do the exercises that like aren't as fun and it's hard to make the time for the like the workout stuff that is especially if you want to be outside as um, a lot of us do so so it's nice people come to me because they want some structure and they they like want someone to be like this is what you do today (laughs) they come for the physical stuff and they get surprised by the mental piece being as impactful as it is right right yeah I mean just having that structure I mean even like I'm thinking about like myself throughout COVID I go to group fitness classes at the gym pre-COVID and like having like my fitness instructor to like in class like push you and push you and push you is so motivating and now I like Mm -hmm. watch all these videos but it's just a person through a screen talking to me and there's not other people surrounding me so it's it's been a mental shift for myself to like be able to like get myself to do it without others like because sometimes I would like like they always say don't compare yourself to others in the gym but they like motivate me the energy in the room totally motivates me to be surrounded by like 30 other people doing this like high intensity workout mm-hmm. so yeah just like the past three months of working out has been a huge huge shift but I also think like mentally for people the past three months it's been a challenge too, like I said, to even get themselves to get off that couch and do something and move. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. We're, we are social creatures. You know, that's, that's part of how humans have evolved in groups. And there may be a couple of people out there that can really self-motivate and work just as hard as they can when there's like other people around. I, that's not me either. I think most of us tend to like really benefit from having another person there to help motivate. So it's not always having to come from you. And yeah, even like on the days where you don't necessarily feel like it, but you know, you'll feel better afterwards. It's really nice to have someone else kind of carry that, that um, motivation weight for you. Yeah. And that there's nervous system reasons for that too. You know, it's not just um, like a funny thing about you. That's like built into our the way our bodies work. So there's, yeah, there's science behind it. It's not just, (laughs) not just Yeah, I know. And that's why it's like, we're recording this in quarantine now. It's like, this has been a really like legitimately challenging situation because of that. And in, in like a way that's like not that tangible, it's it's a a big deal what we're doing. Yeah, totally. Well, and like with your group stuff that you've been doing online through quarantine, I mean, are a lot of those people just like, because like you said, we're social creatures. So are a lot of them, they're probably just craving that the socializing, like I've done like group workouts, like on zoom, just because I need like humans to speak to. (laughs) And it's great, right? Like, it's not maybe 
as good as it would be in person if you could like high five people and hug them in real life. But it's it's nice to have um, that connection even over the computer. Yeah. So like, and as a mental health therapist, like, do you have one-on-one sessions with people and kind of talk about things going on in their life and talk them through those situations too? Yeah. So my mental health work, um, these days I do some part-time work at a, at a home for teen girls. And so I do some, some movement with them and some, some counseling sessions there. My work in in my business with mental health is through this psychoeducation and um, like trying to pass this understanding and these mental health skills on to people through through these fitness groups. I mean, it's already like so much that it seems like you're doing and helping people out. That's super cool. I mean, and to balance like your own business and a job, that's it's a lot. <laughs> And trips, right? Are trying to go on trips too? So, like, um, we, you know, it's summer now, and and in Alaska, at least, we're lucky enough. Our numbers are low enough that it's starting to become probably safe enough for us to go into the backcountry and do some longer trips. Um, so, scheming on that, and um, that's that's another benefit for me for having a, my own business is being able to get away and go into the woods and like put the stuff that we've been practicing all spring into action outside. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, luckily here, the, some of like the backcountry campsites are opening up and we can go to those safely. And I think people are just needing to get out and do that for sure. Yeah. It's one of the things we're really, really lucky about up here is that there's just tons of space. We have a lot, a lot of space and not that many people. So it's, um, fairly easy to find a backcountry trip where we won't run into any other people. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect for this time. Mm -hmm. So when you go out backcountry camping, do you need to get permits in Alaska or how does that work out? There are, so we have a few different national parks up here. If we were traveling through any of those, we would need permits and, and yeah, if you have a few more uh, rules to follow, but most of the state is um, other types of public land that isn't permitted. So yeah, in general, most of our most of the trips that I'm doing these days are we're planning a trip up in the Brooks Range in the very northern part of the state, and there's no permits for that. We just head out. That's awesome. And do you typically, you probably don't run into anyone else. Do you go out alone? Uh, sometimes um, these days. I'm doing most of my travel with my husband who um, loves to plan long and creative trips. And he always comes up with really cool, uh, unique ideas. So, so he's my main trip partner these days. And and we have a few other friends that we match up with from time to time. And yeah, it depends on the area, whether you run into people or not. Last summer we were on a three week trip in the Brooks range and didn't see anyone the whole time. That's more often the case than like randomly running into people. Yeah. Three weeks. That's, that's pretty intense. How do you pack enough food for that? Cause I know like when people do through hikes, they'll like do pickup points and stuff for food, but three weeks worth of food. Well, so, um, summer trips these days for me are usually a combination of backpacking and pack rafting. So depending on the timing, it's, you can carry quite a bit of food in a pack raft without it being on your back. <laughs> so that's nice. Um, the trip last summer, we flew into their starting point and we, we actually like pushed food out of the plane 
<laughs> we pushed our food, our resupply out of the plane at a like <laughs> a place that we could get to after making it over the first pass. So that's how we didn't have to carry three weeks of food from the beginning. So you just like air dropped it into kind of, yeah, kind of uh-huh. into the wilderness. Yeah. Yep. Was it in a bear can or? Yeah, bear bags. We've been using the Ursax. Yeah, and this this time we have um, we have a food drop coming in on a plane that'll be about at the end of the first week. So then we'll only have two weeks or so of food to carry after the food drop. And it, we only have like a couple days to carry it and then we get to float for a while. So I think we'll have probably two really heavy days and then we get into boats and it gets easier. Yeah, because oh my gosh, that's so much to carry. I'm just like, imagine just pushing your food off a plate. This is so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of those super creative solutions that my husband Luke came up with. And it, uh, it was pretty funny. We had a lot of mashed up food for a lot of the trip, but it totally worked. Wow. Yeah. I've never heard of this. I mean, that's, that, that is super creative, but my only concern would be like uh, animals getting into it. Yeah, that didn't it, happen. It was. It didn't happen. I was. We were worried about that too. Um, it was a little risky because, yeah, it totally could have like something could have exploded on the way down. But <laughs> wow, totally adventure, Alaska. <laughs> I know awesome. it's kind of wild, huh? Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough up here when. Um, there's not a lot of, especially up in the Brooks Range, there's just this huge area of the state without any villages or roads. And it's a long ways from um, any major hub. So flights are really expensive and, and it, it does take quite a bit of creativity to pull off food drops and especially low budget trips. <laughs> yeah, cool. So what are some of the biggest injuries you see backpackers getting and have you ever been injured while on one of these adventures yeah the um so when I think of summer injuries um there's kind of two categories you know like something something acute can happen like um like you roll an ankle like you slip and fall and something breaks and then the other category would be the repetitive use injuries that's what I see most commonly with backpackers it's just like we've been hiking for a long time and (laughs) my like Achilles is starting to bug me or, you know, different people, it shows up in different, in different ways, like whatever our little alignment imbalances are, but yeah, things like um, tendonitis in different areas, like whether it's an Achilles or a shin or something in your knee, something in your hip, you know, like there's all these different points. Um, I don't have a like most common point for that, but repetitive use tendonitis stuff seems to be the thing that happens the most. And I, I think of that as something that um, like your body is running, can run pretty smoothly when it's, when it's strong and it's able to like hold pretty stable alignment to a point. And then if you keep going, like if you're trying to do a longer experience, whether it's a multi-day trip or just like a day hike that's really long, then like when the body starts to get tired, it starts to like slide out of alignment a little bit. And we get into like the the little funky movement patterns. And then that starts wearing on whatever tendon it is that you're using to support 
Like if your muscles aren't doing it anymore, then your tendons have to do it. <laughs> so um, that and dehydration contributes to tendon stuff, which is something that I think a, a lot of us struggle with too when we're doing long, long days in the backcountry. So um, that's what I would say is the most common thing. Yeah, the dehydration for sure. I mean, I know that I've been definitely guilty of not drinking enough water and having like really bad muscle cramps while hiking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of creeps up on you. Totally. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And like, you're like, I need to save my water. There's not a water source for so long. <laughs> yeah, that is so hard. That's something that in Alaska, we're really lucky. There's often way more water around than you want. <laughs> and typically here too, in Minnesota, we're pretty lucky about that. I think about like learning how to do this stuff in, in drier climates would be a whole nother learning curve for me. Cause I, that, that idea about like sussing out how much water you need and how to conserve it would add a whole nother layer of challenge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone were to get injured way out in the back country, I mean, do you have suggestions on ways people can kind of self care until they get professional help? Yeah. Well, you know, with, um, especially with repetitive use stuff. So if, if you start to get like a little twinge of a, an area that's, that starts to like feel fired up, like usually if you're fairly body aware and, and like paying attention, you can notice uh, like a tendonitis thing when it's in a really early stage. And then it like, it's kind of a decision point, whether like for some people, the right answer there is to just like take a break and rest it and and let it recover. But that's often not an option for, for us. Um, And so hydrating up like right away and keeping hydrated would be one of the first things to do on that any like our joints they they um they have the like little fluid in between all of everything that moves so when things are lubricated they run smoother and and things like um these repetitive use injuries are way happen way less both like water and potentially electrolyte balance to keep fluid in your body so that would be one piece of it but then the the rest of it is um thinking about if there is a way to, there's almost always some way to shift the way that you're moving to take the load off of whatever tendon you have been overusing there. So um, an example of that for me would be um, on a long ski trip a couple of years ago, I was starting to get some Achilles tendonitis and we still had a couple more days of classic skiing to go. And so like there was no way to not continue like making the same movement pattern happen, but I was able to change my stride, like shorten the stride just a little bit and initiate the motion from my knee. That's, that's what I did in this situation. Instead of like pushing off of my foot, I started like thinking about driving forward from my knee and that little change of it's super subtle, you know, but it like changed the way that my body was using the whole system and took the pressure off of that joint ends. And I was able to finish that, um, that trip without, without tendonitis, which was amazing. Yeah. Well, and like, I love that. Like at the beginning of this, you said just like being body aware, like that's so important when you're out there doing things like this, you have to know what your body feels like normally to know if something's wrong. And then being able to just like change something so basic, like your small movements, yet 
go on for multiple more days is so huge. And I think we were um, like our first time that we were out like paddling a canoe, like I think of the time, like I wasn't holding the paddle properly, but just like moving my hand up a little bit made like the biggest difference in how I was gripping the paddle. And I was like, wow, I'm instantly able to do this for hours now. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. What a good example. It's true. We get like in this little routine, this kind of a rut of the way you're doing something and, and little tiny shifts are super helpful, especially like if you're trying to do long, like if, I'm sure through hikers deal with this a lot, but like anybody who's trying to do a long day, like you, you feel like you have to have a way to like shift your backpack weight from your hips to your shoulders and then like shift it around. And we do the, can do the same thing with our bodies and just like change the movement pattern subtly a few different times throughout the day and distribute the load around and and save our bodies from that repetitive stress. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the backpack thing is so huge. Like, especially for a lot of first time backpackers, they might not know how to wear a backpack properly. So they are putting all the weight of their heavy pack in their shoulders and that's putting so much strain on yourself. I mean, I've definitely done that. And then I finally realized, wow, there's a hip belt. This is a world of difference. Yeah, right. And then like for me too, so after a while, um, my hips can get really sore from how like holding all that weight. It does pinch against your IT band, which is one of the areas that kind of tend toward tightness, especially um, for like hikers and runners. And then that can put like strain on your knee and that goes on down into your feet. So it for sure has been helpful for me to like recognize, yeah, I can like use that weight on my hips for a while. And then when my hips start to get achy and like need a break, then I can like shift it around and my shoulders can carry it for a little while and let that IT band soften up and do some stretching. And like our body's a really amazing adaptable machine if we like use it that way. Yeah. I think you even had a video about that, the sore hips from backpacking on your website. I remember looking at that one. Yeah. I made that one after like having this repetitive hip pain thing that like would like not even let me sleep on my side when I was in a tent after some of these bigger days. I was like, what is going on? And then finally realized that it was, it was a tight IT band that like just a couple stretches made it go completely away and made my life so much happier. So that was a really easy fix. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like doing this work as a backpacker has got to be like one of the most beneficial things that you've ever done for yourself. I mean, just being so aware and knowing so many different strategies is such a gift to yourself. It's true. huh? Yeah. I sure love that. It's like, I'm so super curious about the body and how it works and the mind too. And like I sort of experiment on myself throughout these adventures that we have as to what as to what works and um, not everything works every time so you kind of need a big list of strategies of things to be trying and uh, I keep adding to my own and and then I really believe that a lot of this all of it really is is their skills and their strategies and they are things that we can learn and practice and nothing is making me especially able to do that it's just a a lifetime of practicing it so it's something I love to to spread and empower people to find their own inner awareness and their own ability to build their strategy toolbox 
Right. Totally. Well, and when people come to you and hear it from you, someone who already is so adventurous and experiencing all this, I think it makes it that much more real for a person to hear because they know that you are out there doing this and experimenting with your own journey and going on crazy long backpacking trips too. (laughs) Yeah, I sure hope so. And like, I don't think of myself as like a super elite athlete either. Like, like I'm new to mountain biking and I'm new to pack rafting and like I do a lot of big stuff that like you might think of as I don't know when before I was doing this I would like look at people doing that and I was like oh my god those are the super athletes they have like some other incredible ability that like I definitely don't have but as I've started to build up that skill set and now I find myself doing some of those same trips now I'm like dude I can do it. You can totally do this, like your own version of it. That's so, so cool. Yeah, it's so true. It's like going back to that mind thing. So I'm also curious, like, I know you had a video on your website about like stretching for pregnancy and like, do you have any tips about women who are pregnant and out hiking? I mean, I am pregnant and I'm a huge hiker. So I'm just like, what kind of precautions should... I be taking out on the trail. Ooh, that's so cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So um, this is a really individualized thing. So the the key to, to like managing a healthy pregnancy um, is going to be that same thing, that self-awareness and the ability to really listen to what your body is capable of. But, you know, in general, in pregnancy, you have this relaxin going through your system, which just is your body's way of allowing for more space to be created in, in your joints. My app, yeah. My pregnancy app keeps telling me about that word. <laughs> yeah, it's a wild thing. I, our bodies are so amazing. But like the thing to be aware about with that is that like your joints will have more ability to to move. And so the potential for joint injuries is a bit higher because you're just, you have less stability in your system. And so it's, it's a time to be um, just kind of aware that that's, that that's going on. And maybe like you bring trekking poles. So you have another like way to stabilize, or um, maybe you need to take smaller steps. Or I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, you like your body might be able to do a lot of, um, incredible things. Like we used to say that pregnant women, like we had to like hold them in a bubble, you know, and like, <laughs> can't do anything. And that's right. certainly not the way that, uh, the field is these days. We can do amazing things while pregnant. Um, but I would want you to be aware that like the potential for injury is there and to be like a little kinder to your body and not ask it to, do all the like huge steps, you know, or like running downhill would be something that I'd be a little worried about because like joints might not respond to that quite as well. You want to be really kind to your pelvic floor when you're carrying extra baby in there. Um, and then make sure you're doing some nice stretching afterward too. Yeah. I mean, I consider myself a pretty body aware person too. And like, I mean, I incorporate yoga into a daily routine of mine. And I did that before I was pregnant too, but I just think that's been so huge for me because I see a lot of other pregnant women posting like, and it seems 
from my perspective, from what they're writing, it doesn't seem like they're doing stretching and stuff. And I just keep wondering, like, it's probably because I am putting all these great benefits on my body that I'm not having as much pain and side effects of my pregnancy. It's just like something that I've been thinking about so much because yeah, I'm like a pretty active person and I haven't been very like sick at all. And it's like, wow, like the body really responds to the way you're treating it. And I'm just experiencing it on such this higher level right now. Wow. That's super interesting. Cool. I'm really happy for you. I think that, um, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a ton of things you can do. And, and yeah, like you said, stretching is a hugely helpful thing for pregnant bodies. Um, and I think there's this element to pregnancy where it's just like, it's going to be a wild ride. (laughs) And there are some things that you can do to help and for sure want everybody to be an active participant in their pregnancy and not just like let it happen. Um, but for sure there's there sometimes there are pregnancies where you're just like so wiped out that like the active person that you thought you were <laughs> is really hard to achieve. And I think that's that can be something that causes a lot of stress for for people who like think of themselves as that. And it's like it's this act of um letting go of control in a big way I think so I just want to make sure like if someone's having like a totally different version of that of pregnancy they right, for sure. they also recognize that like even if you're doing all the right things sometimes your body just like needs to rest a ton totally yeah yeah everybody does respond so differently mm-hmm. yeah the body is really nuts <laughs> it's crazy it's amazing yeah and so humbling yeah yeah but yeah, that video that you have on your website is pretty neat with the the ball and different stretches that people can make. Even just like the little figure eights, like those, mm. like I sometimes just sit on my, my yoga ball when I'm like hanging out at home and I like naturally do those. And then when you did them in the video, I was like, oh my gosh, I do this all the time and I don't even realize it's like an intentional thing. It's a thing. Then that's pretty cool. Cause that means that your body is like instinctually asking for something that like has some science behind it, which is, I love it when that happens. You're like way to go body. Yeah. Yeah. I like didn't even realize it was that beneficial. That's sweet. <laughs> so yeah, lots of cool stuff on your website. Yeah. I mean, is there any other like important tips, backpackers or just outdoors adventure people should be aware of as they go out to care for themselves? Well, while we're on the pregnancy track, I do want to mention that for people who are postpartum, like after you've had a baby, we consider you postpartum for life, you know? So that's like a big portion of the population. And there, there are some pretty important things we can do to care for our core and pelvic floor after a pregnancy. And um, even if like your babies are in their teens now, you know, there's still um, some really impactful work to be done with pelvic floor health. So I just want to make sure to mention that because I think especially for athletic folks, we kind of often think that like our bodies are just going to like bounce right back and we can like get back to doing the things we were doing beforehand. Um, and in the pre and postnatal trainings that I've had and pelvic floor oriented stuff, there really are some pretty simple, but also impactful um, things we can do to help the system recover. 
So if you, especially if you're like have any leaking, like leaking super normal thing to experience, but it's also a sign that there are some imbalances going on. So worth looking into if that's something you experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's so interesting to see the woman who posts like those nine month in, nine month out photos. I mean, it's such a journey. And yeah, like you said, your your body is going to need a lot of time to go back to what it was. And like for some people, it probably isn't going to go back to being the exact same. Yeah. I, I don't think exact same is, is possible. Like, honestly, you just like created a human in there and then like gave it birth. (laughs) Like, I think that exact same is, is probably gone and you can still find a new normal that, that has a ton of potential, but, um, after having gone through something as epic as that, I don't think that, um, I don't think you'd even want to go back to the old, the old thing. You got, you got a whole new thing going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, so what are some of the favorite places you've been in Alaska to go on backpacking trips? Mm, Good question. Um, so around South Central Alaska, like based out of Anchorage, most of the times when you show up in Alaska, you fly into Anchorage Um, there are some really nice, uh, shorter backpacking trips, either down on the Kenai Peninsula, um, or north up into Hatcher Pass. Those are both really beautiful areas and have some good, like three or four day trips, but really lately, uh, the last few summers, um, the Brooks range has really been a focus for me. I, it's just this huge area of incredible country and pretty nice traveling like it's one of the things you run into Alaska is that we're doing a lot of travel without trails and the Brooks Range is awesome because even though there's no trails you're either walking up river bars which are fairly easy or on tundra which is also fairly easy to walk on so that makes it really pleasant so when you say without trails like nothing's marked and you're kind of just out there with your compass yeah yeah we're using um using like a phone with i use gaia gps to plan a route and then like have it on on the phone and yeah just finding your way (laughs) yeah and do you usually like have someone back home like track you on your gps for safety we don't do that um, to save battery, but we do bring an inReach to send messages with locations every few days usually, and, and definitely have an in-town contact to reach out to if something were to go wrong. Okay. I definitely have some mental challenges to overcome before I get out there then. <laughs> <laughs> well, there'd be some ones to, like some of the um, first ones I mentioned on the Kenai Peninsula and Hatcher Pass would would have some trails. So you, that'd be a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. I'll ease myself in when I get there. (laughs) My husband, on the other hand, yeah, my husband would love way, way back stuff, but I need to ease myself in first for sure. I think that's smart. (laughs) That's definitely, yeah. Jumping. I think sometimes people get, um, kind of surprised by, um, what Alaska travel is really like because they're so used to having towns closer or a trail marked. I'm used to having a trail yeah. marked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So right. It's a whole nother, another skill set there to, to build up, but it's pretty, pretty neat to have it. Cause then like, then you can go anywhere. 
Yeah. And so when you go out there, is it usually just kind of like out and backs or do you make a loop for yourself? We have been on the long trips trying to do traverses. So starting at one point and then trying to end uh, somewhere else. And that's usually at a, like one of the remote villages that are um, like fly in only and off the road system. So it's going to be different this year because the villages, because of COVID stuff, are um, wanting to not have travelers come through. So this year we're planning loops that start and stop on the road system. Okay. And how long are you planning on going for this, this summer? Three weeks plus a few days, most likely. And that's going to be backpacking with some pack rafting too? Yeah, yeah probably 50 50 or so there's a book that I'm thinking of that I read oh man I can't remember the name but it's a couple that lived in Alaska and pack rafted and now they live in a super small town in Alaska oh my gosh I need to get the name of that book and send it to you You'd yeah no that's that's Aaron and Hig yeah the, yeah yes. yeah yep they they are in the same uh, like world of people here doing similar things she wrote two books have you read her book about the one with the kids? Because that was yes. a super inspiring. Yeah. Yes. yes. It's really incredible what they do with their kids. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. But I remember like them, they were like writing because they would go on these super long pack raft trips and they would have to just like pee in their, in their clothes and just leave them on for like multiple days at a time because it was so just like the different conditions didn't cause for them to be able to take their clothes off. They had to stay in their clothes. And it was just crazy backcountry <laughs> stuff. super hardcore. I forgot that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like their wetsuits that they had to stay in. Yeah. Okay. But she said like peeing on themselves would warm themselves up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I read that book too, but I must have blanked that part out. That sounds, that yeah. sounds rough. <laughs> and then I remember they would like hear whales. Do you ever see whales? So when, when I was living in Valdez, we would see whales from time to time. But now, now here in Anchorage, um, there we're in like a different, we're on the ocean, but it's uh, less common to see wildlife like that. And and if we were doing trips that were, that were more water-based, like some people up here do long sea kayaking trips and things like that, but um, we've been doing more land-based and river travel, so less whales. But I'm guessing you see a lot of grizzlies? We do see grizzlies, yeah. How often? It really depends. It really depends on the area and the season like in the spring and like midsummer, they're more in the mountains. And then in the fall when the salmon are running, they're more congregated on the rivers and the ocean. So last summer's trip, we thought we were going to see a lot and we only maybe saw five or six on that trip. And the previous year, we saw 13 in one day once, <laughs> which was really intense. Um, it's yeah, all over the place. Yeah. Have you ever had like a super close encounter with one? The closest encounter I've had was, um, it was in the Brooks Range. My husband and I were hiking down us down from a pass and um, a bear was just down below us, down slope. And like mostly bears around here, like they don't see humans that often. So they're not very conditioned. So you can like make a bunch of noise and they'll, and they'll take off. 
but this one saw us and started walking up toward us and got pretty close and then started circling us and we're like what we're making tons of noise and like yeah just like doing everything we can do in it and it kept circling and then it like did half a circle and got right upslope from us and and it was pretty pretty dang close at this point but once it got upslope it caught our scent and then it just like bolted which was awesome <laughs> but that yeah. was that was a scary one. Oh yeah sounds a little too close for comfort yeah it was. there was another person we talked to who um survived a grizzly attack the grizzly like full on attacked oh him gosh. but he survived and wrote a book about it yeah that's so scary yeah yeah but wow to see 13 in one day that's pretty incredible what you can run into up there yeah yeah that trip we had there were four of us on that trip so it was nice to have numbers and we got really good at sticking close to each other and making lots of noise yeah for sure groups of people sounds Mm-hmm. Sounds like something that you would need for comfort. We went mm-hmm. to Jasper National Park and we went on like a 12 mile in backpacking trip, just my husband and I. And that was like the most remote I've ever been. And I was pretty freaked out the whole time, just like on my bear alert constantly. And mm. it was it was a little hard to have fun because I was just constantly mm-hmm. scared of the grizzly coming. And I was like, there's only two of us. If something happens, this is going to be awful. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Fear management is is a real is a real tough thing to do. Like we get into that like kind of survival mode part of her brain and and it is like it's impossible to have fun when you're in there like (laughs) that's not what it's for it's for like being on high alert and like ready to respond yeah I mean have you found that going out so often has kind of you've trained yourself to know how to handle that a lot more yeah you know with bears and in particular um I've been super lucky to not have any super scary close calls um and right have built up a lot of time out there so that it's they're not something I get too scared about like the things that make my survival system go are like I have some fear of heights so like exposure makes me nervous and then um also whitewater I've been trying to build up comfort with the pack raft on like more intense water so um but I think the the skills with recognizing what's happening in our nervous system when we get afraid and then like what our responses tend to and then what we can how we can work with them to get back like in the prefrontal cortex where we can think clearly and make decisions and and calm ourselves down is um that's that's a skill set that I'm always working on and I feel like is really really helpful for for us as we keep like pushing limits. Right. Well, and like, I mean, when you're going with groups of people, like you go with your husband and a couple of friends, you said, so have you kind of like trained them a little bit on these tools they can use to help themselves too? So you guys can all kind of work as a team when you're out there. Yeah. I, I mean, I love this stuff. So I love talking about it with anyone who will listen. (laughs) So my husband, for sure. Um, we talk about this a lot and, and he doesn't have the same kind of fear response as I do. So he tends to be my kind of steady, 
person who I can return to when like my system's going off. But yeah, it's it's a really helpful lens to have when you're in a managing group dynamics for sure too, because like we all are, act a little different when we get stressed and, and it's so nice to be able to like use different strengths. Like we if we know like Luke is going to be super steady when things get stressful, then like we can depend on him to like help bring the whole group to a steadier place. Yeah, that's got to be incredible to have someone like that who's just like confident and that doesn't have that fear base out there. You need someone like that when you're doing these real backcountry rugged adventures, I feel. Definitely helpful. (laughs) It's really, it's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, because you can do a lot of it. Like you can do a lot of mind, mental and nervous system management on your own. But like we were talking about earlier, like we are social creatures. So it is really helpful to have like a social interaction with someone who is steady and calm. And then like that can really like help your own system to calm down. You know, we have these mirror neurons that bounce off each other. And so if one person is calm, that helps everybody like recognize that like we're okay right now. Right. I mean, I can't imagine being out in the backcountry with a bunch of people who are kind of constantly really high nerves and <laughs> high anxiety all the time. That would be would be a little scary. I think guides probably end up in that situation pretty often, you know, and then and then there's quite a bit of work to be done as the leader of a group of people who are more nervous in these new situations to be like, you got this. <laughs> like this is normal. That is so true. I've never thought about that from the perspective of like a professional guide. Because I mean, like my husband and I have brought people out on their first backpacking trips, but never like something as extreme as adventuring in Alaska or way deep. We've just bought people on their first three night overnight backpacking trips, which is still like a mental, they still needed to be kind of mentally coached and talked through to understand what's Mm -hmm. going on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of vulnerability that we, that like we take on by, by going out in the woods with just what we have on our backs. And I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting to to recognize like what a big deal that can be at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And your very first time. And it's so rewarding to be that person on the other side and kind of like coaching them and like being super positive and being like, I know you're capable of this. Like you can definitely overcome this. It's really awesome to see people get from like point A to point B and then have them reflect and be like, wow, I did it. This is so cool. And I want to do it again. (laughs) Yeah. That's that empowerment piece, right? Where you're like, oh, like I did all that. I didn't have a roof over my head or a refrigerator to keep my food. Like all of the things that we don't need. I feel like that, that just like drives home how capable we really are. That's why we get kind of hooked on it. So it's such a cool feeling. 100%. All the things that we don't need. That's huge lessons that you learn when you're out there backpacking with everything you need on your back and you're surviving and having some of the most memorable times of your life. Yeah. And like the flip side of that, I feel like is that like when all the things are kind of cut away, that's when the mental stuff can really come like up. (laughs) And it's like just you and this challenge that's ahead of you and like nothing to distract you and nothing else to like blame it on it can turn into a pretty I mean it's an incredible opportunity really to work with the mind because it's like just you and mother nature in your mind but that can be a really challenging thing to um 
to not have anything else to distract you can be pretty uncomfortable too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely can. But yeah, that's like one huge thing that we love about the outdoors. It's just like a way that we have found our lifestyle. Our lifestyle is just part of the outdoors and it's really helped us balance out our minds and our everyday actions. Mm. Just something as simple as getting outside for like 10, 15 minutes and what it's doing for us. But then, yeah, relating it back to those backpacking trips that we've been on and all the challenges you have and that you realize you can overcome this. Like I can climb this hill and I'll be okay. In the moment, it's a huge mental struggle. So if people want to get in touch with you, learn a little bit more and reach out to you, where can they go for more information? So thanks for asking that. Um, I've put as much as possible up on my website. So that is sarahmhistand.com. And that is where like the, the summer I'm running summer strong programs that start every, about every six weeks. And then there's another round that'll start in August. So I'd love to have as many new folks in that as possible. Um, so yeah, you're, that's, this is my invitation. <laughs> and then um, in the winter, that'll transition to Ski Babes, which is the winter version of it. Yeah, so there's all that stuff on the website as, long, as well as the free videos that you were talking about, like the sore hips for backpacking and all that is, is on the website. And I have an Instagram account that I have been working on building up. And that's also my name, Sarah M. Histand. And that's a good place to reach out to me. I, I've been actually kind of enjoying Instagram lately. And if you want to like send a private message there, that'd be a good way to, to get in touch. Perfect. So people can reach out on Instagram. That's yeah. Instagram is an amazing, amazing source. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool to see what everybody's up to that way. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. This has been super informative and people should definitely go check out your website and your videos. Yeah, you're welcome. It was really fun talking with you. Awesome. I love talking to Sarah because it was so much a reminder that listening to your body, whether you're out on the trail or not out on the trail, is the number one key in keeping yourself healthy and moving and continuing to be able to do those things. And talking about the whole mind part of it too is so interesting because I know like how her and I were talking about when like a guide goes out with a large group of people, the guide is probably definitely working with all these people's different mental, mental Mental emotions. Yeah, mental emotions. (laughs) That's what I'm going for. It's like the different things that are going through your mind, the nerves, the excitement, the anxiety, especially if you're you're new to it or you're in an unfamiliar place and you may have hired a guide because you need somebody that has the experience that's more confident and that that typically does rub off on people is when they are with somebody more confident. And Sarah and I were just talking about this before we started recording. If we were to go out on a trip out in Alaska in the middle of nowhere in the Brooks Range somewhere without trails and stuff like that, Sarah's like, yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily want to do that. And you said you would be a little more confident going with me, but you would be a lot more confident going with a group of people, especially a group of people that 
might be familiar with the area. Yeah, people that have done it before and know what they're doing. I mean, that makes a huge difference because it's awesome to get out there and adventure and do these things, but you still need to be aware and have that safety and precaution to do things that are just outside of your normal comfort zone and just the normal habits that you are accustomed to. Yeah. And I mean, there are people who just dive in and do this stuff without anyone who is experienced, but... But it's kind of rare, I would th- I would think. Um, I think more people tend to be a little more cautious and anxious in those newer situations and are more reluctant to just go dive headfirst into something like that. Yeah, and so Andy's definitely that one between the two of us when we go out. I'm more of the, well, I don't know, yeah. I'm more of the one that likes to take those, I don't know, not risks per se, but like go be the more adventurous one out there in the wilderness. But, you know, there's other aspects in my life where I'm, a lot less adventurous, and Sarah's the more adventurous one. Yeah, like with humans and socializing. <laughs> yeah, like if you were to go to a new city, Sarah, like a new country, you like to immerse yourself into the people and the culture within that city. However, I'm kind of the opposite, and maybe that's why I like the wilderness more, is because it's it's less intimidating for me, but then again... Everyone has their their own strengths in their own mind. And comfort levels. And this, yeah, this podcast was just like so, so cool because the mind really, it's all about the mind. And when I was talking to Sarah about the whole like working out thing, we are such social creatures. And I know the second I got back to going to the gym, I was able to be motivated and working out again in my classes because I was surrounded by people again. Yeah. I I just want to go back to that example of like the guide and maybe like the anxious or nervous people that they're taking out or just the varying emotional mindsets that they might get themselves into while they're out on a trip. Something I thought of while I was listening to you and Sarah's conversation was, you know, we've taken a couple people out, a couple groups, family, friends, for their first times up in the boundary waters on backpacking trips and being in that in those same shoes as like a guide during those trips it's a little bit more intense for the guide too because and maybe this is just because it's newer to us but you just want to make sure that everyone remains comfortable and that you know everyone's doing stuff in a safe way and you're you're introducing these people to this hobby, this activity, and you want them to come back for more. You want them to have an enjoyable, positive experience out of it. So there is a little bit more pressure on yourself, and I find that to be true on some of these trips, is I don't find myself necessarily relaxing as much as I do when it's just me and Sarah, or if it's just me and other friends that have been out in the wilderness and have experienced that more And you don't have to coach them along as much or kind of guide them on some of the skills out there. Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely like more so you being like the main guide and all of that and me just like 
talking with the people and like showing them how to maybe cook or something. But yeah, it's definitely a different experience when you're bringing out people for their very first time. Yeah. So it was very interesting. Just like a little thought I had while you and Sarah were, were discussing that and how she was saying, yeah, it would just be, it's very interesting how those guides have to deal with, you know, all of those different kind of things that come up with, with people and just calming them and kind of working them through things. And I was like, yeah, we haven't experienced anything that was too drastic or anything like that, but it's, it's just kind of that added, added layer of, okay, just got to make sure that, you know, everyone's comfortable. We're not pushing people too far past what they can do out there too. Like, I don't want to put anyone in a dangerous situation. Like, let's say up in the Boundary Waters where maybe we have inexperienced paddlers that don't necessarily know how to deal with choppy waters when they're in it. You know, some some of those things run through my head while I'm out there. And it's just, yeah, that little added layer. So it would be really interesting to see if, you know, as we continue to bring more people out and more family and friends and eventually I think others it'll be interesting to see if that kind of heightened like awareness and kind of pressure diminishes a little bit more as we get more experience doing it or if it just kind of remains that way because we are dealing with so many different and unique personalities that everyone brings to the table when we go out on trips well and when we're bringing people that we don't even know like so far we've only brought close family and friends who we know when you're bringing someone who you don't even know i'm sure that pressure is definitely still on because you don't necessarily know their personality yeah it's just one thing that i really really thought about and another thing is just i loved listening to her various experiences up in the alaskan wilderness up there that was very um exciting for me and it really got me wanting to go up there and visit now get airdropped airdrop your food down go <laughs> yeah. gps and find it yeah that was that was crazy and it's so different i think than what you experience down here in like the lower 48 up there it's just so much more vast and wild and that's why i said to her i imagine you guys growing up just being outside all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think one important thing to take away like sarah mentioned at the beginning is just listening to your body. There is that connection between the mind and body. One does influence the other. It's I mean, science. at least an- anecdotally, like we have noticed that on our trips, at home, in the gym, all of that. If if we start taking care of our physical self, our mental self benefits and kind of vice versa too. Take care of yourself mentally, push yourself sometimes, get over some of those challenges and hurdles that you may want to give up sometimes and or you're you're struggling with something and you just need to talk it through with someone else but that'll get you to help motivate yourself to be better physically so it's all intertwined is what I'm getting at it totally is so keep that in mind when you're on and off the trail and thanks for listening (music) 
We love sharing these stories with you through the Hiking Through Life podcast, and we're so grateful that you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to support the Hiking Through Life podcast further, we have these amazing new t-shirts and water bottles. The t-shirts come in four colors, and the water bottles are perfect for trails, adventuring, or daily use. Consider checking them out at hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. Use the code podcast and receive 10% off your first order. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.